Good morning, faith family. It's great to see you. If you're turning your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, while you're turning there, I want to say hello to those in our venue as well as those at our Lakeville campus. We're delighted that you're gathered with us today, and we're going through a series that we're calling The Search. Uh, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're looking at, uh, uh, there's really two voices in this book. A father is trying to teach his son wisdom. You see, he knows about his son what's true of everybody, and that is, as he grows up, he's going to try to make sense out of life. He's going to try to find meaning in the world. And so he's using a character uh, by the name of Koheleth. That's right. You got an A so far. Koheleth is in the English translation translated the preacher. That's just the meaning of his name. It's one who collects. Uh, many will think it's Solomon, uh, but it's a father teaching a son wisdom through this character, Koheleth. Now, Koheleth has searched and searched and searched for the many things to try to get meaning in life. He's tried knowledge. He's tried pleasure. He's tried last week. We looked at achievement. And he's looking at these things to provide meaning in life. Now, one of the things that I hope that you're able to do by now, if you've been with us for a few weeks, is you're beginning to spot Koheleth in the culture. Anybody? Like when you're seeing movies or you're seeing things on TV, you're like, oh my goodness, that's Ecclesiastes. Well, I want to show you a, a clip at the beginning of our talk this morning just to give you a sense of uh, what Koheleth has been saying, and it's a great example from the culture of what we're studying in Ecclesiastes. Take a look. From the upcoming film, True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. All right, isn't that perfect? Isn't that perfect? And so if you're new with us this morning, that's pretty much what we've been studying, that Jim Carrey is Coelith, all right, pretty much. I mean, it's this search of maybe if I could get enough, maybe if I could achieve enough, maybe if I could be successful enough, then I could find meaning. Wasn't that so insightful? Then I could stop this endless search of what I know will not fulfill me. 
It's so good. And it's exactly what we've been looking at in Ecclesiastes. Now, uh, Coelith isn't finished. He's not given up. Just because everything thus far has been a dead end, he's going to keep searching because there's other things that you can look to for meaning. And so let's pick back up in his journey on his search. And I want to look just at really a verse and a half this morning. No, it's not going to be a short sermon, all right? But a verse and a half. Let's go ahead and stand, if you would, for the honor of reading God's Word. And I just want to read Ecclesiastes 2, verse 8, and let's continue in this search. Verse 8, chapter 2 says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and then here's the phrase, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Pray with me. Father, thank you for uh, being gathered today. What a joy it is uh, to worship together. Um, Now we get to hear from your word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak and do what I can't do. I am am just a man, and I am uh, full of flaws. Um, But you are perfect. Your word is true. So Holy Spirit, come and speak, because we're all on this search. And this topic particularly is something we all try to find meaning in. So come and teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, most of my childhood was spent growing up in the 1980s, which was, let's be honest, an amazing time to grow up. That's right. That's right. It was a decade filled with awesome contributions like denim fashion. Like, how awesome is that? Groundbreaking video games like Mario amazing computer technology. I mean, how many of you remember those things? And then cell phones. Like, where would you be without the cell phone? But maybe the biggest contribution of all in the 1980s came in the form of music. And yes, I'm talking about the hair band. Yeah, baby. Men with enough hairspray to set the world on fire. And I'm going to be honest, I probably shouldn't admit this publicly, but I listened to some of those hair bands growing up. And one of the bands that I I listened to is a band named Warrant. Some of you will remember that band. I know I just admitted that publicly. But one one of the, in fact, the lead singer of the group Warrant was a man by the name of Janie Lane. And I I read about uh, Janie's life uh, one time in an article that I found very, very, Interesting. Janie, like most rock stars, the 1980s was fully involved in the party scene, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, and he, he, he felt an emptiness inside, like he wasn't fulfilled. Are you beginning to see a pattern with this? And so he thought, he went out on this search of how can I find meaning and satisfaction in life? And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit the band. And he did. And he tried to settle down and just have a family. Maybe a family would bring meaning in his life, but he was still empty. So he tried to renew his music career, but that didn't work either. Then he tried fitness, and he devoted himself fully to being in shape. He joined, if you remember, Celebrity Fit Club several years ago. And all of this just kept coming back the same thing. He was still empty, still empty, until finally something happened. And everything changed. He met a woman by the name of Kimberly Nash. And I want you to listen to what Janie said here in the interview and listen to the language he uses regarding Kimberly. Quote, 
No matter what I had, how many houses or cars, or what I had in the bank account, or what was going on with the band or songwriting, something was always missing. Listen, I truly believe that what I needed was a soulmate. Last year, I suffered consequences from drinking that I had never suffered before, and it made me step back and think, is this how I want it to end? The answer is no, because Kimberly makes me want to live. I want you to picture this. Here is a man who has achieved music success, who has lived the party life, who has plenty of money, and he says, I'm not happy, but you know what would make me happy? A soulmate. If I could just find someone to live for, and he wasn't kidding. He wasn't exaggerating. He really did live for her. Because shortly after the two broke up, Janie Lane was found dead in a Los Angeles Comfort Inn with a bottle of vodka and an empty bottle of pills. When he lost her, he lost his reason to live. Let me ask you something. What is it about love? Falling in love, being in love, finding someone that you can love. What is it about these things that give us a sense of meaning in life? I mean, these issues in Ecclesiastes are so relevant, aren't they? I mean, if I could just get enough knowledge, if I could just have a good time, if I could just achieve enough, and maybe the biggest of all, and I know I say that every week, but maybe the biggest of all is if I could just find someone. If I could just be in love. I mean, think about all the symbols of love that we have in our culture. Valentine's Day is an $18.9 billion day. Dating sites, online dating, 20 million people visit a month. Romance novels, over $1 billion in revenue annually. Love songs, first dates, the first kiss. The biggest of all is the wedding. Now, I understand weddings are an important event where we spend a lot of money so that the bride can pretend to be a princess and marry her prince and live happily ever after because magic exists. <laughs> And we're a bunch of weirdos. <laughs> Weddings are kind of weird. I mean, what's the logic? It's like, well, we love each other. Why don't we pretend we have a kingdom? <laughs> we'll invite your parents' friends and my parents' friends, and we'll have a banquet. <laughs> and the two kingdoms shall come together as one. <laughs> and we can start our married life with a total fantasy before we go on a completely unjustified vacation. <laughs> It's strange, right? I mean, weddings started off as these crude medieval ceremonies where women, daughters, were exchanged as property. Yet over the course of centuries, they got worse. <laughs> That's why people cry at weddings. I can't believe we're still wasting money on this. <laughs> Do you realize that the average cost of a wedding in America is 27 thousand dollars not including the honeymoon here's my point 
faith family, look at me. We're obsessed with love. We are obsessed with the idea of love. And one of the things our culture says is love will provide meaning in life. Well, that is exactly what Coeleth tries next. And I want to just take us deeper in something we actually looked at a couple of weeks ago. Look back here at verse 8. He says, I gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women. And here's the phrase, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. Now, we talked about a couple of weeks ago that this is an allusion to Solomon. It's a parallel to Solomon who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, what's the point of that? You remember what Coelith is is trying to make. The point he's making is nobody's more qualified when it comes to these issues than him. Nobody has more knowledge than he has. Nobody's experienced more pleasure than he has. Nobody's achieved what he has achieved. And when it comes to relationships, nobody's had more relationships than he's had. So he's an expert. He's qualified as to determine whether or not meaning can be found in love. You say, where are you getting love from? Well, let me ask two questions. Number one, what was a concubine in the ancient Near East? A concubine was more than just like a sexual servant. It was more than that. It was marriage-like. A a concubine was marriage-like in the sense that a, a woman would enter into a legal relationship with the man. And it was at least marriage-like in two ways. Number one, the man was considered to be the son-in-law of her father. Are you tracking with me? The man was considered to be the son-in-law of her father. Number two, the man was legally required to provide for all of her needs. So a concubine was actually more than just a sexual reality. It really was a legal binding relationship. Now, number two, question number two, why would someone have so many concubines? Oh, there's lots of reasons, but since Coeleth is a parallel or a a shadowing of Solomon, let's ask, why did Solomon have so many? Notice here on the screen, or you can follow along in your copy of God's Word, at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, we're answering the question, why did Solomon have so many concubines and wives? And here's what the text says. Now, King Solomon, say this word, loved... King Solomon loved many foreign women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. Notice this next phrase. Solomon clung to these in, say it, love. Why did Solomon have so many women? Because he's clinging to them in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses. He had uh, 300 concubines. His wives turned away his heart for when Solomon was old. His wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. So so here's the answer. Why all these women? Uh, It's simply this. You might as well face it. You're addicted to love. Right, You remember that Robert Palmer song? You might as well accept it. You're addicted to love. His heart is clinging to these relationships because he's trying to find love. He's just like Janie Lane. 
if I could find a soulmate, if I could find love, then life would make sense. And Coeleth and Solomon are not the only two that have gone after this search. I want to give you another story from Scripture that just gives more depth and context to what's happening here in Ecclesiastes. How many of you remember in Genesis 29 the story of Jacob? Do you remember when Jacob tricked his father Isaac and his brother Esau out of the birthright? He tricks them and he runs out into the fields. He's a fugitive. His life is falling apart. And he comes across a man by the name of Laban. Laban is a relative of his and he's going to work for Laban. Now follow on the screen or in your copy of God's Word at Genesis 29. And I want to pick up their conversation in verse 15 and watch what happens. This is really fascinating. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? In other words, you want to work for me. How do you want to be paid? Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. That's a polite biblical way of saying she's ugly. All right. The Hebrew is like she fell down an ugly tree and hit every branch, okay? And you'll notice that. I'm not making that up. Don't boo me, right? Because look at the next phrase. But Rachel was beautiful. Do you see the parallel? The, the, the author is trying to say Leah's not that attractive and Rachel's beautiful in form and appearance. So, verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. He loved her and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So what's happening here? Uh, Jacob runs out into the fields. He, he meets Laban. He says, I want to work for you. And Laban says, what do you want me to pay you? And he says, I want your daughter, Rachel. Love is causing Jacob to act irrational for four reasons. Number one, he needs food, not a woman. I'm serious. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have an inheritance. He's a fugitive on the run. He needs a job. He needs money. But all he wants is her. Number two, he gives up seven years of his life. You would normally give a father roughly 30 to 40 shekels for, to be able to marry his daughter. If you made one or two shekels a month, that was the going wage. The high end, are you following me? The high end would be about a year and a half. Jacob is making him an offer he can't refuse, right? He's given Laban an offer that Laban will not say no to. Why? Because he's willing to give up seven years to get Rachel. Right. This is not an old episode of Friends, okay? Not that Rachel, all right? Number three is look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And all God's people said, aww. <laughs> seven years went by so fast because all he can think about is love. Excuse me while I puke for a minute, right? It's like, oh, blah, right? Seven years, no big deal, because I love her, right? Number four is look at verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is complete. In other words, when the time was up, he was ready. And that's all I'm going to say about that, right? The, the Hebrew here is strong. It simply is this idea. He's consumed with her. 
He is consumed with her. He wants her more than anything. She is an absolute obsession of his life. His life has fallen apart, and he's convinced he can put it back together with Rachel. Love, Rachel, will provide meaning in my life. But there's a part B to this story that sheds light on another character. As the story continues, Laban is going to trick Jacob. And there's a little bit of irony here. After all, Jacob had tricked his father and brother, so now he's going to get a little bit of taste of his own medicine. And so uh, Laban sends Jacob some wine. Uh, Jacob gets drunk. He brings in, at the time of the wedding, his daughter in full ancient Near Eastern veil. She's completely covered. They get married. And notice what happens in the morning, verse 25. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Don't! That's not what I signed up for. Who are you? Right? And then notice what he says. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. How about them apples? What does Laban know? He's addicted to love. So why get seven years out of him when you can get 14? Now, how do you think Leah feels? Leah is devastated for at least a couple of reasons. Number one, she's always lived under the shadow of a more attractive sister. Number two, the only way a man will marry her is if her father tricks him. You think that's what she dreamed about as a little girl? And number three, and this is the biggest of all, she does not have the affection of her husband. Do you know what the text says? Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. So what does Leah try to do? This is, this is fascinating. Look at verse 32. Here's how Leah responds. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Look at it again in verse 34. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. In other words, right here, my life has fallen apart. This is not how I dreamed it would go. But here's how I can put it all back together if I can just get the affection of a man. In other words, on one hand, what you have is a man so obsessed with a woman, he gives up 14 years of his life just to get her. And on the other hand, a woman who wants to be loved so badly, she will give up anything. She will give up anything just to feel the affection of a man. The point? Love made both a slave. i got to have Rachel for my life to matter. If I don't have her, none of this makes sense. I've got to have the affection of a man or I don't matter because that is my source of identity and that same thing still happens today. 
Oh, how many people are enslaved to a relationship. Oh, how many people think beauty is your identity. If you're Rachel, you can get far in life. If you're Leah, you better be smart. At least that's what the culture says. Or how many marriages say, oh, I know what will solve our marriage problems. We'll just have children. And if I have children, my husband will love me. If we have children, my wife will love me. That's the only way we can try to make sense. This isn't outdated. It's happening right now in living rooms and homes and relationships all over the place. Because love may be the single most thing people look for to make sense out of life. To find meaning. And we see it everywhere in our culture, don't we? We see it in music. The Beatles said all you need is love. That's all you need. Sinatra, listen to this language. You're nobody until somebody loves you. Romantic icon Willie Nelson doesn't get any more romantic than that says, you're always on my mind. Bob Geldof and his song, the To Live in Love, listen to these Ecclesiastes-like lyrics. To live in love is all there is. Life without love is meaningless. Life without love is life denied. To live in love is life defined. Life without love, absurdity. Life without love, futility. We don't just see this in music. We see it in movies and theater. The Princess Bride, right? As You Wish. Jerry Maguire, You Complete Me. What kind of nonsense is that, right? Pride and Prejudice, You Have Bewitched Me, Body and Soul. We have TV shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, Who's Gonna Get the Rose. Kids movies, we turn kids movies into love stories like Beauty and the Beast and pretty much every other one. We turn historical events into love stories like the Titanic, though that might be appropriate, uh, Pearl Harbor, even sports stories like Rocky. I mean, come on, can I just watch two guys beat up each other? I just want to see blood, man. I just want to see a fight. You got to turn it into Adrian or whatever, right? Why does it got to be a love story? I mean, if you took every movie that involved love away, there'd be like one movie left because we are obsessed with romantic love. Even vampires now fall in love. <laughs> and not just movies and theater, but think about literature. Listen to this quote from Dead Poet Society about poetry. Quote, we don't write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering. These are noble pursuits and necessary to life. Now listen to this. But poetry, beauty, romance, and love... These are what we stay alive for. And just think about the vocabulary we use. She's my soulmate. He worships the ground she walks on. That's scary. I'm looking for the one, which is really bad mathematics, but I'll let you figure that out later, all right? But we use language that is Ecclesiastes-like if we could just have love. 
You see, the point is, you're just like Coelith, and so am I. You're just like Jacob and Leah. You're just like Solomon. Our heart is searching to find meaning, and we think we can do that in someone. And this gets lived out in a thousand ways. Here's a few practical things. The one who leaves the marriage because they're not happy. It's the one who thinks, if I had that man, if I could marry her, then my life would be better. It's the couple in the clouds planning their wedding and six months in dealing with life on earth. It's the one who never married and feels second class. It's the one who's a single mom crying at night because her story didn't end happily ever after. It's the hook-up and log-on generation that doesn't understand that what they think is just sex is actually a longing and a starving for more. It's the mindset that if I'm attractive, I matter. It's the one who loses a spouse and goes beyond grieving, which is right, biblical, and appropriate. But they go into a state of despair. And it's even the one that wants absolutely nothing to do with love. Because Tim Keller writes, quote, If you are so afraid of love that you cannot have it, you're just as enslaved as if you must have it. You see, whether you're running after it or running as fast as you can away from it, the point is you're being enslaved by it. So Coelith, Solomon... Jacob, Leah, these are all people in pursuit of love to give meaning in life. Now, what do you think, back to Coelith, back to Ecclesiastes, what do you think he's going to conclude? If you've been here the last few weeks, you kind of know the tone of the book. You know the tone of our buddy Coelith. What do you think he's going to say? You might think he would respond like this. That's kind of what we're expecting right now is for Quelleth to just be like, love stinks, right? Just go ahead and, and look at the person you're dating, look at the person you're married to, and just say, you're meaningless, right? That's, that's what you'd expect Quelleth to say, but he's not quite like that. He, he's going to be a little softer, a little bit, than we've seen him in the past. And I know what some of you ladies are thinking, why did I come to church today, right? And, and I, can I just say this quickly? Part of the reason why you're going to find this uncomfortable is because you're more influenced by Hollywood than you are the Bible. 
you're more influenced by Hollywood. Now, don't, I got good news coming, okay? So just wait, all right? I will redeem this, I promise. But what does Coeleth conclude after his search for love? Look at Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9. He doesn't say love stinks exactly, right? He says this, verse 9, chapter 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. Woo, Coelith, good job, buddy. You're in a better mood today. Well, read the next phrase. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is the portion in life and your toil at which you toil under the sun. So, so he's going to say something nice about love, and then he's going to bring in the reality check, okay? So let's start with the nice thing, and then we'll look at the reality check. Here's the nice thing. Love is a good thing. Enjoy it, okay? Listen, listen, listen. You've got to hear this. Do not leave today thinking anything other than what I'm about to say. Love is a gift from God, Read the Bible. Love is something God has given you to enjoy. We are not saying love is a bad thing. Pleasure is not a bad thing. Achievement's not a bad thing. Knowledge is not a bad thing. Love is not a bad thing. God is pro-romance. Are you hearing me? God is pro-romance. In fact, he's so pro-romance, he put a, a romance novel in the Bible. What's it called? It's a book Solomon actually wrote, the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Let me give you just a little bit, a little taste of the Song of Solomon. Some of you are nervous. Chapter 4, <laughs> verse 1, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. That is romantic. <laughs> Guys, go home this afternoon. Try that one. Look at the person you love and just say, Honey, your hair reminds me of a goat. <laughs> just do it, please. I want to see what you look like next week. But he goes on, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that come up from the washing, oh, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. What's he saying? Your teeth are straight. That's awesome. Your teeth are clean. And most importantly, you have all of them. <laughs> You're beautiful, baby. You got all your teeth. Which means, I don't know where this lady's from that Solomon's talking about, but she ain't from Tennessee, all right? I'll just tell you that much. I don't know where she's from. She ain't from there. I'm from there. My grandmother used to take her teeth out just to spit her tobacco. But anyways, I digress. He's saying, you're beautiful. You are beautiful. You have all your teeth. Woo! Nothing like teeth to get you warmed up. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. And I'm going to stop there. Right? The rest of the chapter gets rated R. Okay? Here's the point. Here's the point. God is pro-romance. Love is a good thing. Do not hear me saying anything else. Everybody look at me. Venue, Lakeville. Love is a good thing that God has given you to enjoy. Now for the reality check. It will not provide ultimate meaning in life. 
it will not. It's good. It's to be enjoyed. It's a gift from God, but it will not provide ultimate meaning in life. And Coeleth will give you two reasons why a soulmate won't fulfill your soul. You ready? Two reasons why a soulmate won't fulfill your soul, and then we're going to answer him and be done. Here's the first reason, is because love fades in feeling. Love fades in feeling. Back at chapter 2, verse 11, Then I considered all my hands that had done and the toil that I had expended at doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. That's the conclusion statement of all the things that Coelith has just listed, one of which is his pursuit of love in women. And he says it's like striving after the wind. That idea is that idea of it's not lasting, right? It's a chasing thing. There's always more. It's up and down. So you, you have the party and the party ends. You get the trophy and you got to get another trophy. You get knowledge and that knowledge doesn't remain, right? Same thing with love. The feeling of love will come and go. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. And remember, C.S. Lewis was a man who was devastated when he lost his wife. But he writes this, and I think this is right. Quote, being in love is a good thing, but it's not the best thing. You can't make it the basis of a whole life. Listen, no feeling can be relied on to last in its full intensity or even to last at all. If the old fairy tale ending, they lived happily ever after, is taken to mean they felt for the next 50 years exactly as they felt the day before they were married, then it says what probably never was nor ever would be true and would be highly undesirable if it were. Who could bear to live in that excitement for even five years? People get from books, and I would add Hollywood movies, the idea that if you've married the right person, you may expect to go on being in love forever. As a result, tell me this doesn't speak to our culture. As a result, when they find they are not, they think it proves they made a mistake and are entitled to a change not realizing that when they have changed, the glamour will presently go out of the new love just as it went out on the old one. What's the point? The point is the same thing for achievement, pleasure, and knowledge. It's all of them. It's good. It's to be enjoyed. It's a great thing, but it doesn't last forever. It's not eternal. I'm going to make this statement. It's going to be very controversial. I'm sure I'll get emails on it. I don't care. Here's the reality. Sorry to burst your Hollywood bubble, but everybody goes to bed with Rachel and wakes up with Leah. Everybody goes to bed with Rachel and wakes up with Leah. You say, I don't like that. I don't care, all right? Because here's the reality of human relationships. Here's what I mean by that statement. Every human relationship will disappoint you. Do you know why? Because you married somebody who's not perfect. Newsflash. And because you're not perfect and because they're not perfect, there will be no such thing as a perfect relationship. Can you have a happy marriage? You better believe you can. Can you be in love? Of course you can. But if you look to that person to be the satisfaction that your soul wants, you will destroy that relationship before it ever starts. That's just the reality of life in a fallen world. It's a good thing, but it cannot provide ultimate meaning. And here's the second reason. Not only does it fade in feeling, but it also fades in the future. Look back at Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9, and we're almost done with Coelho. 
Here's the second part of what he says. So enjoy life with your wife and whom you love. That's a good thing. All the days of your vain life that God has given you under the sun. All I want to do is look at that phrase, all the days of your life. What's he saying? Everybody right here, what's he saying? He's saying, enjoy your wife, enjoy the one that you love while you can all the days of your life because what? Eventually they or you will die. That, that, that's happening. And the reality is, this is a huge question. Why would, if you live for a soulmate, what's your soul going to do when she's gone? If you're living for a soulmate, what your, what's your soul going to do when he's gone? Do you see? Eventually, death makes any love relationship temporary, and you will end up in despair. Do you remember the story of Johnny Cash, 2013? June Cash, formerly known as June Carter, died. Johnny Cash was obsessed. If you remember his story, he asked her for like decade to marry him. Finally, they got married, and when she died, his diabetic condition turned into a deadly one, and four months later, he died as well. And you know of people like this, don't you? You say this, they died of a broken heart. Here's the question. Love is a good thing. Love is a good thing but do you think it's going to bring your loved one back? No. And in that sense, love can't provide meaning in life. That's what Coelith is saying. Now, what do we say to Coelith, right? When he says, I've searched out relationships, I've tried love, and it's meaningless. It doesn't fulfill me. Here's what we say, and we close with this. Actually, Coelith, love does provide meaning in life. Actually, Sinatra is right. You're nobody until somebody loves you. The Beatles are right. All you need is love. And let me prove it to you, and we're done. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. In your Bibles or on the screen. Here's the context leading up to what we're going to see. In Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says we live in a fallen world. Amen? Anybody agree with that? The world is not as it's supposed to be, and Coelho says you better believe it. Verse 20, creation is subjected to futility, and Coelho says absolutely. Verse 21, it's under the bondage of death. People die, and Coelho says I know. That's why love can't provide meaning. Verse 31, what shall we say then? And Coelho would say, well, here's what you say then. In Enjoy love while you can because it will soon end because of death. And here's the response. Are you ready? This is the best news in all the world. Well, but what if, Coelith, there was a love that death couldn't separate you from? If your argument is love can't provide meaning because death makes it temporary, then what if there was a love that death couldn't separate you from? Verse 32, he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 35, for who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No, verse 37, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers or things present or things to come, powers or height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able 
to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right here, Coelith says, death makes love meaningless. The gospel says, because Jesus died and rose again, there is nothing, 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 nothing that will separate you from the love of God, not even death. Therefore, therefore, meaning, listen, listen, therefore, meaning is found in love, but only God's love. Only God's love, because only His love is eternal. Only His love is a love that cannot be separated by death. And when, oh, hear me, hear me, hear me. When your identity is the love of God, it changes everything. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read what I wrote here, but I want you to listen to this. When your identity is God's love, if you don't marry the one, when your marriage struggles, when your spouse dies, if you never marry, listen, your life will not be empty because you were never looking to human love to do what only God's love can. Do you see how that frees you? And now I would argue you can actually love your spouse more because they're not your God. God is your God. And the ultimate affection you need, you have found in Him, and therefore you don't have to make an idol out of your marriage. Therefore, you don't have to make an idol out of your appearance. You're free to love. I'm asking you this. Why would you live for a love that will die when you could live for a love that died, rose again, and lives forever? And this will actually set you free in a culture that's in slavery to love. Do you know how Leah, I'll close with this, do you know how Leah got out of her slavery to love? Look on the screen at verse 35. This is awesome. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Did you see the shift? This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and she ceased bearing in other words, how did Leah get out of her slavery to love? Hear this. She found her ultimate need for affection in God. Not a man. As good and awesome as that is, she found that affection in God. And what came out of that? This is awesome, by the way. Little side note, little footnote. What came out of that? Judah. Is that significant? Yeah. Because does somebody come from the tribe of Judah? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to remember. Does somebody in the book of Revelation, are they called the line of Judah? Oh, yeah. Jesus! Jesus was the answer for Leah's search for love, and he is the answer for ours as well. Faith family, I invite you in today because of the good news of the gospel. If you have experienced the failure of human love, and we all have, you're invited today into a love that will never fail you. The good news of the gospel is if your love has left you by death or divorce or distance, Jesus invites you to a love that will never forsake you, not even in death. The good news of the gospel is if you're here like Janie Lane, Coelith, Solomon, Jacob, Leah, and you think if I could just get a soulmate, Jesus invites you into a love that actually will make your soul 
complete. And until, listen, until you've experienced the saving love of Jesus Christ, only then will you be able to say, finally, finally, I have found a love that's actually worth living for. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. It is countercultural, and that's exactly what we need to hear. Human love is a good thing. Human love is a beautiful thing. Human love is a gift that you have given us, God, and it is to be enjoyed. But when we make a God out of that, when we make that the ultimate pursuit of our life, when we think that that will ultimately satisfy us, Lord, we will be disappointed after disappointed after disappointed because that hole was only created to be filled by your love. And so I pray this morning for every person that's here that that they would know the love of God and that they would not just know the love of God, but it would be their identity. It'd be the foundation of their marriage. Oh, how that would set a marriage free that it would be the foundation of a life, oh, how they would think differently about themselves than the way the culture makes them feel. Penetrate deep within us your very love that it becomes the very thing in which we found meaning in to the glory of Jesus Christ who died to extend that love to all. In Jesus' name, amen.